If Christ has not been raised, our faith is worthless. We are still in our sins, and we are of all men most to be pitied. So declares the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection of Jesus is the central tenet of our faith. Everything we believe stands or falls on the resurrection. It might surprise you, therefore, to discover that the most difficult accounts to harmonize in the Gospels are the resurrection accounts. All four gospel writers, obviously, give an account of the resurrection. But if you read all four, you're likely to become confused. How many women went to the tomb? How many angels were there? To whom did Jesus speak? Did Jesus appear to the disciples in Galilee or Jerusalem and And on and on it goes. Now, all accounts affirm the fact that Jesus arose from the grave and interacted with various eyewitnesses. But no one account tells us everything. And it's hard to piece it all together. At first, I wondered why the Holy Spirit would allow such confusion to take place with regard to the most important fact of history. But then I realized that if every account was identical, we'd become suspicious of collusion. You know, if every story is identical in every detail, there's a good chance that everyone is repeating an agreed-upon story. Now, if there are differences, not contradictions, but differences in detail and perspective, the validity of the report is actually enhanced. You know there's been no attempt to fabricate a story. What was seen or heard is what is being reported. That, I believe, is why the Holy Spirit allowed Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the freedom to report the events as they saw them or heard about them without forcing them to write identical stories. The resurrection is too important to risk the charge of collusion in the reports. And that is why I am grateful for the skepticism we find in reactions to the resurrection. It wasn't embraced with open arms by anyone. The women didn't expect it. The disciples didn't believe it. The priests didn't want to believe it, and eyewitnesses still doubted it. And I'm glad, 
Because if they had been quick to believe it, we might think they just wanted to believe it. But that's not the case. As we see in our text for today. And we begin by noting that the women didn't expect it. We're about to wrap up our year-and-a-half-long study in Matthew. We're in Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Now, the way Matthew condenses the account might give the impression that the women actually saw the angel roll away the stone, but that's not the case. That had happened sometime during the night, presumably in the early morning hours, long before sunrise. Now, others, no doubt, uh, felt the earthquake But the soldiers were the only ones to witness the angel descend from heaven, roll away the stone, and sit upon it. And there's no indication that the soldiers saw Jesus arise. In fact, chances are he had left the tomb before the angels opened the door. Apparently, his resurrected body passed through the grave clothes, for they were left behind. And there's no reason to believe he didn't pass through the tomb as well. The stone, I'm convinced, was rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let others look in. It's almost as if the angel rolled the stone away, hopped on it, pointed at the tomb, and said to the soldiers, Hey guys, look, he's gone. He's gone. And it was the angel that frightened the soldiers so much that they passed out. Not the resurrected Lord. By the time the women got there, the soldiers had revived and had taken off. Now, John makes it clear that Mary Magdalene actually got to the tomb before the others. She got there while it was still dark. And as soon as she saw the open tomb, she ran to tell Peter and John that someone had taken the body of Jesus. When the other women arrived, and there were others besides Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, or the other Mary, as she was called, there were other women who went to the tomb early Sunday morning. Mark mentions a Salome, and Luke mentions a Joanna. We don't really know how many went to the tomb. But when the rest of the women got there, they found the stone was rolled away. But they went in, and they found at least two angels inside. And they, like the soldiers and everyone else who sees an angel, were frightened. But an angel assured them there was no need 
to be afraid, and acknowledge that he knew they were looking for Jesus who had been crucified. And it was a crucified Jesus they were looking for. Not a resurrected Jesus. Mark tells us they had prepared spices with which to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, they had seen what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had done, how they had wrapped the body in linen with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. But apparently, the women didn't think the men had done a good enough job, which is understandable. And so Luke says they came with more spices at early dawn. Now, obviously, they were not expecting to find an empty tomb. They weren't expecting that the resurrection would have taken place. They were expecting to find the body of Jesus. Their biggest concern was who would roll away the stones so they could get to the body. But Jesus was gone. And an angel gave them a message to take to the disciples. A message, by the way, the disciples did not believe. Let's read on. Here's the message. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they shall see me. The women were told Jesus had risen just as he said. And they were told to take that good news to the disciples. Now, reading the other accounts, we discover that Peter and John had already been to the tomb. When Mary Magdalene had discovered the empty tomb, she ran to tell them. They then ran to the tomb and had seen that it was indeed empty. They didn't know what had happened. Luke says Peter went away marveling, wondering what had happened. John indicates that he believed, but doesn't say what he believed. Apparently, he just believed that Jesus was gone. Because he adds that they didn't as yet understand the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead. So they just went home. Mary Magdalene got back to the tomb after they left and was the first person to actually see the risen Lord. Through her tears, she mistook him for a gardener until he spoke her name. And then she embraced him so tightly, he had to tell her to stop clinging to him. He couldn't stay. And she had a job to do. He wanted her to go tell the disciples that he had, ris had risen. He had been resurrected. 
and that he would soon be ascending to the Father. He then appeared to the other women who were already on their way to tell the disciples that Jesus wanted to meet them in Galilee. When he greeted them, they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus reaffirmed the angel's message and then sent them on their way to tell the disciples that he was alive and that they were to depart for Galilee to see him. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us how the women were received by the disciples, but Mark does. They didn't believe them. Luke says they thought it was nonsense. The women said Jesus had risen, had met them, wanted them to go to Galilee so they could see him, and they thought it was nonsense. In fact, when Cleopas and his companion went to the disciples later that evening to report their experiences on the road to Emmaus with the risen Lord, they weren't believed either. The disciples did not believe it. And the priests, they didn't want to believe it. Three on. Now, while they were on their way, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Now, if you recall, the priests were the only ones who remembered that Jesus had said he would rise again on the third day. They, with Pilate's approval, had therefore posted a guard and sealed the tomb to make sure that the disciples could not steal the body and say he had risen. Little did they realize that the disciples had no intention of doing such. They didn't even remember that Jesus said he was going to rise again. But now some of the guard came to the priests with a most disturbing report. During the night, an angel had rolled away the stone, and Jesus was gone. Now, the priests no doubt believed them, and they knew what had happened. But they didn't want to believe it, and they weren't about to admit it. They had lied to get this man crucified, and they would lie to save face. They didn't want anyone to know that they had actually crucified the Son of God. They thought they could keep it a secret, at least for a price. So they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them to say that they had fallen asleep and that while they were asleep, the disciples had stolen the body. They assured them that if word of this ever reached the ears of Pilate, giving evidence to the fact that they weren't actually Pilate's soldiers, but were members of the temple guard, 
that they would make sure that they weren't prosecuted for dereliction of duty. So the soldiers spread the story, and Matthew notes that it was still being circulated among the Jews at the time of his writing. Now, if you think about it, the story was ridiculous. How would the soldiers know the disciples stole the body if they were asleep when it disappeared? But you know, a story doesn't have to make a lot of sense if you really want to believe it. And I imagine even the priests wanted to believe that that was what had happened. So the women didn't expect it. The disciples didn't believe it. The priests didn't want to believe it. And then most surprising of all, the eyewitnesses still doubted it. (coughs) Verses 16 and 17. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Now, you might get the impression from Matthew that the disciples headed for Galilee. As soon as the women told them, Jesus said they were to depart for it and that he would meet them there. But that's not the case at all. The other gospel writers make it clear the disciples stayed in Jerusalem and hid behind closed doors. Jesus had to go to them, and he did so twice. First on Easter Sunday evening, and then again a week later when Thomas was with them. Eventually, they did all go to Galilee. And seven of them had an unexpected breakfast with Jesus after a night of fishing. You may recall that they caught nothing, however, until he called from the shore and told them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. As they were eating together, apparently he made arrangements to meet them on a mountain in Galilee. Perhaps the same mountain where he had delivered the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this meeting that Matthew mentions. Now, he notes that 11 disciples were there. But others may have been there as well. In fact, this may have been the time when, according to Paul, the resurrected Lord appeared to 500 brethren at one time, most of whom were still alive when he wrote about it in 1 Corinthians. If they were there, it may have been some of the 500 witnesses who were doubtful. If not, it would appear that some of the disciples were still doubtful after having seen Jesus several times by this time. That may seem hard to believe. How could they still be doubtful? But you know, it's even harder to believe that someone has actually come back From the dead. And apparently, no one other than the priests initially believed it. The early believers didn't become believers overnight. And for that, I'm most grateful.
Luke tells us in the first chapter of Acts that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to the disciples over a period of 40 days before being taken up into heaven. He had to prove to them that it was really him and that he had actually risen from the dead. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came ten days later. And they were filled with power that they actually became witnesses to the resurrection. They weren't grasping at straws when they believed Jesus was alive. They weren't hoping against hope that he was alive. It took a lot to convince them. But once they believed it, they believed it enough to die for it, and that is what really convinces me today. You know, no one willingly dies for something they're not sure of. I'm very grateful. The news of the resurrection was received with skepticism because that initial skepticism is what makes the eventual apostolic conviction all the more convincing. Because of their witness, we can lay aside our doubts and worship without reservation. We can, in good faith, surrender our all to a risen Savior. And we celebrate that right now. Let's stand.